the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. Why do I love FanDuel? Let me tell you. Because it's America's number one sportsbook. I like facts. I like knowing that they are number one in the space. There's also amazing odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, CBB, and so much more. It's also safe and secure and super quick payouts. You get your winnings delivered as quickly as two hours. It's amazing. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. Uh, I'm sure as you noticed when you clicked on this episode, you know that the guest is Dax Harwood. Fantastic human being, of course part of a tag team in FTR, but I really wanted to have Dax and Cash on separately. So, of course, I still have to have the Cash episode. We kick things off here with Dax. I think it's really interesting, though. I mean, you know, you have tag teams, especially guys that have been in a tag team for a really long time. They just become synonymous and they do these double interviews. And it's really kind of hard to get to the core of who each dude is in a double interview. So I purposefully wanted to split them up to have solo conversations with each of them because they both have very different and interesting stories to tell. You guys know these guys. You, you see them on TV, whether you watch them in WWE, you watch them now in AEW. Um, if you've been watching their careers for some time, you follow these guys on social media. Huge wrestling fans. Uh, we know they're huge Bret Hart fans. We know they're huge purists in the tag team wrestling world. Those are things that we know. Um, I really wanted to get to the bottom of some other things about, about who Dax is the things that make him tick, talking about his family, getting into some, uh, you know, some really deeper issues, um, a, a battle with anxiety that he's gone through, talking about body dysmorphia and eating disorders, some really heavy stuff that we got into. I think that you guys will enjoy this conversation and, you know, really peel back other layers of who Dax is, who David is as a man. Um, his wife popped in for a little bit, Maria. She's fantastic. Um, some of the things we talk about, though, could be a little bit triggering or upsetting. So um, a, a forewarning to you as we get into this episode that we definitely cover some heavier topics. But man, cannot applaud him enough for being able to come on the show and talk about these things because, you know, you idolize these people that you see on TV and they seem untouchable and they seem so strong and powerful and, you know, all those things. So I think for him to be really vulnerable and talk about some of the stuff that he's gone through, um, I, I really think it can resonate with a ton of people. Um, so, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks to him for coming on here and sharing his story. And Hopefully it helps somebody uh, get their own lives on track. 
that's uh, that's one of the things that we're we're doing here is having these conversations and being open about about so many different aspects of our own lives. Um, but hey, that's enough for me. Let's get into it. Here's Dax Harwood. I'm so excited to have you on. You know, you and I were talking um, while you were on your way to Nashville, going to see our girl, Casey Musgraves. Oh my was gosh. it everything you wanted it to be? And I think that I was the only straight person in the crowd and I loved it. <laughs> yes, queen. We got like an extra wristband or something. I was surrounded by like girls and gays and I was like, yeah, this is my scene. <laughs> my people. It was a lot of fun. She's so incredible. Here's my question, though. What did you wear? Did you put on like a fancy Casey Musgraves outfit? Because she really brings the fashion. And I feel like if you wanted to throw in a tassel, maybe a sequin, that would have been the the setting for it. I just wore jeans and a a T-shirt, I think. Maria, she dressed up for sure. She wore like the Reba jacket with the tassels and had to take like seven boomerangs of her. How was it being like that was your guys first trip away in like eight years, you said? How was it? You know, she's gone to WrestleMania with me and she's, you know, done some of those things. But like, you know, at WrestleMania, you still have signings and, you know, matches and stuff like that. So we've been away before, but we've never had uh, time by herself. She is. I definitely would like Maria to come be a part of this because I want to know about the romance. We can talk about wrestling and blah, blah, blah. We'll get to some of that stuff. But like, I love the family stuff. I love knowing about like you as a human being. And I know family is obviously such an important thing to you. You are like that dude that I feel like the show ends and you are hightailing it out of there to get back home. Has it always been that way for you? Uh, Yeah, Uh, for for WWE, for sure. Like, I always felt guilty at WWE because I was gone so much. So I would always find the earliest flights out. Whether I had sleep or not, I I still do find the earliest flights out because I wanted to get home because like, it's cool to be able to take care of them through my dream and, and make this money and stuff like that. But then we only know, or at least then she only knew that daddy wasn't home, you know, and I could tell her a million times when I'm going to work. So, you know, you can stay here with mom or so we can have this house or whatever. I could tell her that a million times, but still all she knows is daddy's leaving again. But yeah, just Wednesday night, as soon as I was finished filming, I changed my flight to an 8 PM flight and flew home. I don't know. It's just, I know how lucky I am and how fortunate I am to have what I have in her. When we first met, um, I was in college, but I was paying for my own college. So I had like three jobs, two or three jobs at a time. And one job was opening up a vitamin store where I would go all day. And I'd leave that job and go to my next job, which was a DJ at nighttime. And like, she always was so supportive. She never complained, you know, 18 credit hours of school and three jobs and wrestling. My job until 3 a.m., I was surrounded by girls, and she never, ever questioned me, never cared. You know what I mean? And I could never bother her. She's been prepped for this life, but, man, she's never once complained. How did you guys meet? What's the origin story? Who swooned who? Her best friend worked with me at the the club downtown. She was the door girl. And um, one day, Maria came in, and that's how we met. Then me and my buddies went out a couple of, I don't know, weeks later, and uh, I saw her roommate at a bar, and she was uh, inebriated, and it was only like 5 p.m., and I was like, hey, let's, I'll take you home. She lived with Maria. Maria was there. She had literally just broken up with her boyfriend, and I was like, hey, we're going to go out if you'd like to come with us. And she said, you know what? I'm going to come with you. And so she comes with us, 
and we go out downtown. We have fun. And uh, long story short, I courted her for like six months and she said no. I was figuring shit out. I said, okay, well, look, I love you so much that it's, this was like in December. I was like, it's either 0% or 100%. That was my exact words. And she said, okay, it's 0%. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> she moved back to Hendersonville, uh, where, which is kind of where we live now. And um, I was still in uh, Wilmington, where I was going to college or where I finished college. She called me one day and she was driving back and she said, I can't live without you. I love you so much. Driving four hours, five hours from, Hendersonville to Wilmington just to come and tell me she loved me. And she came in the door and we embraced. And he said, All right, well, I've got to go back home. And so she left right after that. And but then I moved back. And then she moved back. Yeah. And we moved in with each other like almost immediately. Yeah. Oh my God. How long ago was that? How long have you guys been together? 13 years. Oh my God. Very impressive. Maria, did you know what you were getting into? I mean, when this relationship started, I mean, you know, he talks about your patience and your trust in him and now this journey that you guys have been on and like through thick and thin. I mean, as we sign up for when we say those vows. Initially, when he told me that he wrestled, I was like, good. Well, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we'll see. And, you know, and then I went to one of his first shows that was at like an armory. Oh, or my gosh. First show she ever went to. And I was like, holy shit, like this is real deal. Like he's serious and he's really talented. And so then, you know, and he always talked about wanting to get signed somewhere and that kind of thing. We got engaged at the end of 2010 and we scheduled our, our uh, wedding date as uh, September the 16th, 2012. We, were, we scheduled to, to get married and like Canyon Seaman, he called and he was like, okay, we're going to offer this contract. <laughs> this is the start date. I was like, oh man, that's the day after my wedding. We have a honeymoon scheduled. Can I please have, you know, some time off? Oh yeah, that's not a problem. We'll, we'll make sure to get it to you. So he calls me a week before my wedding. He says, I just want to make sure everything's in place. You're good to go. Yes, sir. I can't wait. Good to go. I said, okay, so you'll be starting on September the 17th. I said, oh man, you remember you, you told me I could have two weeks off on my honeymoon. He said, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, how is a day? And I was like, oh my God, this is my first, my only break. And so I was like, yeah, I, I, let me talk to my wife. And so I asked her and her exact words were, I don't care what we do as long as we get married. I was like, oh, yeah, oh my God. But yeah, we got married on the 16th uh, and drove on the 17th and started on the 18th. It is funny how that happens because like when John and I got married, I mean, we just like, we knew that we were going to get married. We had been in Reno. I was with him at live events and we were like, just like in the town, like a little bit hungover, walking around. We're like, let's go to the courthouse and get our marriage license because we're in the state of Nevada. That way we know we want to get married. We can just do it and call it a day. So, of course, six months after that, it's like burning a hole in my pocket. I'm like, are we going to do this or like what? So we end up getting married. Um, but yeah, we had to wait. Oh, I guess probably well, at least six months, I would say, until we finally got to go on our honeymoon. I mean, you know, the way that schedules, it's like impossible to actually get proper time off and depending on what your storyline is and what's going on and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of just along for the ride. You talked about WWE and having that big break. What were like the moments prior to that and actually having that opportunity come to fruition for you? It's one of those things where, you know, you hear someone say, you just don't care anymore and it'll happen. I got an opportunity to go to Japan and I went to Japan and worked for like a month or a month and a half or something. And um, while I was over in Japan, I said, you know what? I'm going to quit wrestling. Uh, I'm going to quit wrestling, use my degree, get a real job. I just want to be with her. And I want to take care of her for the rest of my life. And so I was going to quit wrestling at the end of that year. 
And I don't know how, but Regal got some of my footage and he found out about me and he called me and asked me to come do an extra spot. And I did. Funny enough, uh, it was the first time I'd ever really, I mean, we had met before, but we had never like conversed with, with cash. And we met there and they put us in the ring together and they said, we don't know how long you're, you're going to go. We'll just tell you when to stop and when to wrap it up. But just keep going until. So the first two matches went and we didn't, even, me and Dan, we didn't even have time to talk about it. But the first two matches went and um, they cut the guys off after two minutes or four minutes or whatever. So we got in the ring and we just started going. And then we kept going and going and going. And they never stopped. And Scott Armstrong was like, keep going. They love it. Keep going. And we went like 15 minutes. And um, finally, we, you know, we wrapped it up, went home. And right after that, I got the, the contract and <laughs> signed it for less money than I was making at my real job. So we picked up everything and left and went there. It is like crazy, though, that like journey of, you know, finally making that thing come together. And I mean, look at I mean, it's, it's really inspiring to see like what you guys were able to do in WWE. Now what you guys are doing in AEW. What about that moment of you guys wanting to bet on yourselves and for you to leave WWE and look for another opportunity? Because you guys weren't going straight to AEW when you asked for your releases. Money is, is incredible. But I talked to my grandma and I was like, you know, telling her my issues. I was like, I'm just not happy, but the money is great, blah, blah, blah. And her exact words to me were, how much money do you really need? I was like, oh my God. That was like such an eye-opening experience for me. You know, I'm college educated and, you know, two degrees and stuff like that. And so I was like, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And we just, I don't know, it it's, sounds like I'm bitter, but I'm not at all. We just weren't happy. Not just us, but they were not giving any of the tag teams the opportunities we thought that it deserved. And we knew we would be stuck at a certain position if we stayed there. And um, man, for years and years and years and years, like since I can remember, I have prayed every single night to be a professional wrestler. And um, I take it very, very seriously. And knowing that they weren't going to give us the opportunities um, that we thought we, we deserved. I knew we just had to, to get out of there and, and make a name for ourselves. So we talked about it and they kept throwing more money at us, more and more money. I called my wife and I told her, I said, hey, this is the amount of money they offered us. I don't think we're going to take it. And she said, no money is worth your happiness. Do what you want. I said, oh my gosh, okay. And so we went back and told them no. And my wife was having health problems. So I told them like, look, not only do I not want to stay, I want to be home more with my wife. This is obviously before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit, they called us and they said, look, we know you want out. Your contracts are up in you know, two months or whatever, but Dave, we're going to extend your contract because of your injury until August. But the out is all these trademarks you have. If you sign them over to us, we will let you have your release, no 90 days, and we'll give it to you today. We had spent like ten or twenty thousand dollars on trademarks, like FTR, Shadow Machine, uh, No Flips, Just Fist, all this stuff—stuff stuff that we came up with, not them. But we were like, you know what? We want out so bad. We're just unhappy. Uh, just let them have it. It's just money. We called back and said, you can have all the trademarks. Just please give us our release, and they did. Wow. So, what was the time in between like for you guys while you were waiting to see what the opportunities were going to look like, either on the indie scene or what was going to happen with AEW? Almost immediately after the release. I mean, you know, we had had talks with Cody and, and through Cody, we had, had talks with Tony. So from the time that we asked for a release to the year later, 
we knew there was an opportunity for us. So we weren't worried or anything, but um, it was kind of scary because the pandemic had just hit. Uh, we were just so, um, so unhappy. Uh, and I never wanted to get to the point where I wasn't happy and bringing it home. Yeah, no doubt. I know when you're so passionate about something, you got to kind of find a way to still keep that light and fun and to still enjoy that because as soon as that's gone, it gets rough out there for sure. Hey guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And you love some combat sports, well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. I know that you've talked about this before, but I'm not sure how in-depth you've gone with it, but you suffered from bulimia. What was that like experience like for you? Like, How did that start? So it was right after high school. Um, I actually got out of high school, so I, was, I played high school football and you know, I was just, you know, eating whatever because I was a lineman. So I was trying to get, you know, big. And I got to like, I don't know, 285 pounds. I'd always been a big kid, but I just got really, really, really big. And then I continued to eat that way as a lineman after high school. And so without that extra physical activity, I just put on so much weight and uh, I was embarrassed and um, I was just ashamed and I uh, had a buddy who moved in with me and my dad, I don't know, maybe a year before that, because um, he had some family problems at home and he'd come live with us. And uh, he was overweight too. One day I called him doing it outside. And I was like, hey, what, what the fuck are you doing? And he said, I'm so sorry, man, but you know this. And I said, well, why are you doing it? Well, to help me lose weight. I said, oh, I said, does it work? He said, well, I went from this weight to this weight. I started doing it too and um, working out and trying to get in the best shape, you know, for wrestling um, or for wrestling school. Again, something that became routine. Addiction's never been a problem for me. So thankfully, I was able to just stop. But uh, it, it got really bad to a point like I was every single day at the end of the day, I would go outside and just so my dad couldn't hear me and I would just throw up. What did that do to your body doing that for that period of time? Like, did it exhaust you or like, like what were sort of the ramifications of that? It was very scary when I realized like, I can't go a day without doing this. Uh, the, the body dysmorphia, like how I viewed myself and how embarrassed I was of myself. And then I was embarrassed of what I was doing, you know, and then it would just become this cycle thing because um, I was thinking, okay, well, if I can get to this weight, I'll stop, you know, and I could not be embarrassed about anything. I would lose the weight, but the body dysmorphia would never go away because one, because you've got it stuck in your head, but two, like when you're doing that, you're not getting any nutrients in your body. So as hard as I was working out, I was never building any muscle mass. So I got, you know, what's called skinny fat. My body would get, I don't know, to my, my opinion, I would look worse than when I was actually heavy. So more than like physically, it just wrecked me mentally. So you've mentioned body dysmorphia a few times. And it's funny because I, I like 
you and I were talking prior to this and I just, I can't imagine somebody kind of not having body dysmorphia to some degree. Like, I feel like I never know what I look like. I can never tell if I'm like, am I fat? Am I athletic? Am I skinny? Like, I just have no concept of what I look like sometimes. I'm like, do other people feel that way? Like, they must. I, I don't know. I find it, it's very confusing. When did that start to happen for you to have that that body dysmorphia kind of kick in? Right after football. I mean, and I did, I gained a lot of weight. And so I'll wear the same clothes that I had and they were like super tight, but I was too like prideful to go buy bigger clothes. And so I'd see myself in a mirror and I'd think, oh my gosh, what, what's going on with me? And, and I had no, I mean, I'm from a very small town in North Carolina, you know, and so we're not the most health conscious in that little bitty town. And so I had no clue about like carbs and fats and nutrition and things like that. I just ate to eat. That's when I started like experiencing the body dysmorphia. I never had it in high school. I would get called fat in high school, but like that never, ever bothered me. But like right after high school, it was, I don't know, it got really, really bad. And that's when I started um, experiencing the, 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 the middle body dysmorphia. So now I've, I've gone from this 280 pound, almost 300 pound fat guy. I, I've lost all this weight. And so now I have this uh, excess skin that hangs, you know, as disgusting as it sounds, I hate even talking about it, but like I have this excess skin around my belly um, that I have to have surgery to get rid of. But, you know, with our schedule, we can't do that. And I get on social media as well. And then, you, you know, people see me in my trunks and, you know, they don't know what I've been through, what I've, what happened. Or they, they just, you know, see this and I'm like, oh my God, how can this, you know, he looks like this. No wonder he's, you know, not in the main event or whatever, you know. You read that stuff and, you know, no one knows. They don't know how much they're affecting a person. I can let most of it slide off my back, but in some days it's like waking up every morning, I'm doing this fasting thing. I'm, you know, busting my ass in the gym. I'm trying to eat right. I'm working as hard as I can in the ring. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be the best wrestler in the world. That's my, that's what I want to do. And sometimes I think I'm doing that just so you ignore the fact that I don't have the best body. It's, uh, you know, it's a never ending cycle, especially on social media. It's so crazy. Just like how hard people are on other people about their bodies, like as if like we shouldn't all just be applauding you for the work that you have done to be healthy and to get your body to where it is. But to imagine like, well, okay, you did this one thing. Why can we not have it be absolutely perfect? It's such a weird expectation that we put on other people or that other people put on you. It's such a vicious cycle. It's so crazy. Instead of being like, holy shit, you did this thing. Like, hell yeah. Like how inspirational to other people that could be in that situation, trying to lose that weight and trying to get, you know, the health side of it more than anything. But this aesthetic side of it that comes with it that's so vicious. I've never understood it. And I try to make sure that I teach my daughter not to be that way. But also, I, I don't want her to know how regimented I try to be on my nutrition and my food. I don't want her to know either because I don't want her to have that expectation that she has to grow up and do the same thing. Besides the shitty people that are in the business, that's the main reason I don't want her to be a wrestler is because I don't want her to have to go through that. Like the bumps and the bruises and stuff, you know, whatever. But like dealing with self-image and, and, you know, how you have to meet people's expectations. I never, I mean, she's going to have to, but I never want her to, to think about that or go through that. That's one of those things I find um, 
I mean, I have a daughter as well. She's only eight months. But those are the things that you think about and the the society that we're bringing our kids up in. Like, I think all the time if I have my like phone out, if she were to see like the filters that we put on our faces for her to feel like, oh, just her regular beautiful face is not enough. And we need to add this contour. We need to have our nose thinned out or our lips plumped a little bit more like that shit just rattles my brain. And I can't imagine a kid growing up like that because we didn't have to grow up like that. We weren't under the microscope in that way. We didn't strive for this perfection the way that kids do now. It's such a scary thing to imagine with the daughter. Um, okay. So on a different note entirely, you have struggled with some anxiety. Is it something you're still kind of going through or is this something you've overcome to a degree? Dude, I don't know if you ever overcome, you know, but again, I'm so new to it. I don't know. Uh, I, I think I still struggle with it. You and I had talked about this before. Like my anxiety is different than what yours is. Mine truly stems from like really bad, like claustrophobia. Going into like a lavatory on a plane is my fucking nightmare. No, thank you. Or like being stuck in in like an elevator or something that makes me like it makes me start to sweat even to talk about it. I can't even think about it. But that's the kind of anxiety that I get. And it sprung from one specific moment. But for you, what was sort of the tipping point that made this all kind of unfold? It was June the 5th. I was we were in um, we were in Jacksonville, Florida. I was in a hotel room. I just couldn't go to sleep. I didn't sleep at all. And I was like calling Marie. I was freaking out. It was like six in the morning and I'm walking around the hotel outside. I'd never experienced this before in my life. And so I'm I'm freaking out and I finally uh, get back to my room and I fall asleep for like two hours at like seven in the morning and I wake up and I call her and I was like, oh my God, you know, last night I was freaking out. I couldn't sleep and, you know, my heart was racing. I didn't know what was going on. The night came again and I couldn't go to sleep again. And so I was like, okay, God, what the, I don't know what's going on. I can't sleep. I think I slept maybe that night, maybe three hours. And so I was like, okay, I just want to go home. I'm going to get home. Things will be so much better. I'll be in my, my safe space at home. Got home. I jumped in bed and I was like, babe, I don't know what's going on. This is freaking me out, but you know, whatever. And so I lay in bed and I don't know, a jolt went through my brain and I could not cut it off and I couldn't close my eyes. And my heart was racing throughout the next few weeks. I called like four doctors. You know, and I'm so lucky that we work for the company we work for because I was able to talk to Doc Sampson day and night. I don't know if you remember um, Dr. DeQuino from WWE, but he was a friend of mine on Facebook and he saw that I was going through some issues with sleeping because I posted on Facebook, like, has anybody ever had insomnia? Because I think I have it. And he called me and dude, day and night, again, he would answer my texts or call me or whatever. That was the, the tipping point. Through therapy, I found out this is something that's been going on for a while. In terms of it going on for a while, it was just something that was like kind of building and building and then you you broke. Through talking with my therapist for a couple of months, that's what we found out. I don't know, when I found out where the issue came from, it almost like freed me a little bit. And that sounds kind of corny, but like it did. It almost freed me. Can you say what it was that was sort of like the seedling for it? Maria had a miscarriage. Me and her and Finley, we, we still lived in Orlando and we were going to the mall and she hadn't felt good all day. And she was like, I just, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel right, but let's just go to the mall. And she kept like telling me how she didn't feel right. And I said, you know what, let's go to the hospital or let's go to the doctor or whatever it was. And uh, let's get you checked out. So you don't, you know, you're not worried about it. And then we'll go on about our day. So we went there, she checked in and she sat down and they 
they said, uh, Maria Harwood. And as soon as she stood up, she lost everything. And, uh, she ran to the bathroom and I followed her in there. And, uh, she had our little, little, little tiny baby in her hand. She is so broken and she was so worried and so upset and so scared and so embarrassed, all these other emotions she was going through. So like I had to be strong for her. So I didn't want her to see me worried or upset, you know, because she had so much to worry about. So I hit all that stuff. When I would drive to, when I would drive to the performance center or whatever, I would break down almost every day. It was one of these things where I'd break down and I would question God because I had, and I do now have a relationship with God, but I questioned, I said, God, why, you know, why did you do this to us? And just give me an answer. And I never was mad or angry, but, but I just wanted to know why this happened to us. And I think what happened was so much stuff just piled up and I lost it. I am so sorry you guys went through that. I can't imagine what that's like. And yeah, I mean, I, I understand the concept of like wanting to be strong and wanting to make sure that Maria's okay, make sure Finley's okay, and to take on that burden and you're suppressing all these emotions or handling them kind of yourself um, on those car drives, like you were saying, and having those moments of breaking down. But like, God, it's it really is crazy when you, you know, you try to think of what our capacities are of like what we can handle and how you can like put certain things aside or put things on the back burner and then stuff always ends up creeping up and it will catch up to you. Not that I would suppress things, but like I would, I would just get angry. I told Dan this, like I would go to AW and I'd want people to think I was angry. I want them to not approach me. I, I don't know. I felt some kind of comfort in being miserable for some reason. I don't know. I lost friendships and probably didn't make relationships that would have been good for me because I felt that way. Again, I don't want to preach or anything, but like uh, one day uh, this was just, it, it was, this lasted for a few months and I couldn't sleep or I was scared to go to sleep at night. And I said, God, look, I know you're up there. I know you're there. you've got to be there. Please just take over and heal me because it was ruining my life. Again, I'm not here to preach, but the very next day, that's when I realized, you know, where it started from. And then little by little, uh, I started breaking the walls down for my anxiety and started therapy. And, um, I was like, well, you know, why? Cause again, Southern guy, you know, uh, we thought as Southerners, especially Southern men that therapy meant you're going crazy. And so when Maria told me she's going to go into therapy, I'm like, why, you know, are you not happy? And she said, no, I just want someone to talk to. And I'm like, well, you can talk to me, but no, no, I want someone I can talk to who understands what I'm going through and can listen to me. And I was like, okay, I get that. Without her, I would have been super embarrassed and never would have done it. Without her, I would have never got on medication because I was so embarrassed to take medication. I've never, you know, aside from surgeries and stuff, I've never like taken pain pills or done drugs or anything like that. And she had to tell me, hey, this medication was made for you. It, it was made to help you. The bad rep it gets is from the people who take this medication all day to stay high and drink with it and stuff like that. That's where the bad reputation for the medication comes from. And without her telling me that almost every single day, um, I don't know if I would have taken the medication. And it did. Medication also gave me my life back. It's really crazy the lack of education that we can have on these things and the stereotypes that come with them. They get ingrained in our brains from kind of 
you know, a pretty young age. So it's, it's really interesting now to like, yeah, to be on the other side of it and to break down those stereotypes and not feel like taking these drugs or going to a therapist is for a crazy person. It's like, no, these things exist for a reason and lean into that and get the help that you need instead of, I guess like kind of choosing to suffer or you think that you can deal with things yourself or you think that it's going to go away or it'll eventually just get better. Um, That can obviously be such a slippery, dangerous slope that people can find themselves in. So I feel like once you first get that inkling of like, oh shit, I maybe need to get some help here. Um, And I think guys like you being able to, to talk about this stuff really helps a lot of other people that could be in a similar situation and have that same thought process. I hope so. Especially for men, we're all taught to be prideful. And uh, I was the same way. My dad, you know, was very proud of the fact that he was a, I mean, I say a single father. My mom was there too, just as much, but he was a single father. He was cooking for us. He was cleaning for us. He, you know, he worked his ass off at a hard job that there's no way I could ever do it. But he was prideful that he was, he was able to provide for us like that. He instilled that in me indirectly. And so even when I told him, hey, I think I'm going to go to therapy. He, why, why, why do you want to go through therapy? You know, what, 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 why? So yeah, as a man, I hope that I'm able to continue to share my story, to let other guys know, like, it's okay. Like if you're weak, that's okay. Because I was the weakest of weak. There was no one in that little bit, that period of time, no one in this world was weaker than me. And I am just lucky and fortunate that I could recognize that. I'm not strong enough to do this myself and lucky and fortunate enough to have a perfect wife that took care of me and made sure that I took the right steps. And whenever I was scared to go to sleep, because that was, that was it. That was my anxiety to sleep. She would say, I'll stay up with you all night. I don't care. Like I'll be here for you. She would stay up till two in the morning. And she'd cover me with these, these covers and she'd give me all these lavender oils and you know, all these homeopathic things. And she would stay up with me until I finally passed out and she would go to sleep. And she would sleep four hours a night too, just to make sure that I felt okay. So having a therapist is good, but having a Maria is better. Obviously you love your wife very much. And it's so nice to hear, you know, just like your relationship with your wife and with your daughter and the man that you are, the things that you love, you love from your family, professional wrestling. I mean, I think those things are definitely some of the, like the, the pillars that make you up. But yeah, to, to have a partner that is understanding because, you know, being on the other side of things can be really difficult sometimes when you're trying to understand what somebody else is going through and you're trying to walk in, in their shoes while also still trying to keep a household afloat. So I think being able to have a great partner is, um, yeah, I can't say enough about that. Outside of a great wife partner, my God, cash was the same. He was so understanding and you're, you're exactly right. Like if I love something, I fucking love it. Sometimes not a good degree, like wrestling. I love it so much, too much um, to the point where like, that's was part of my anxiety too. Like I remember the match we were having with the Bucks. I couldn't sleep for two weeks because I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to deliver the match that these fans had wanted for six years. And so I would stay up all night and think of things. And I cried to Maria. God damn, I, I, people are going to have this whole new outlook on who I am. And I would cry to Maria because I'm like, I can't get this match together. And I pride myself on being able to be the ring general. I'm very prideful of that. And I could not get this match together. But 
my family and, and wrestling and, you know, and God too. But those two things, I wear my emotions on my sleeve because of that. And sometimes it's a good thing because I'm too serious and too prideful and, and love wrestling too much that sometimes it can drive people away. And that's why I said with Dan too, like an incredible partner who understood what I was going through, checked on me every single day, stood up for me, you know, and told me, hey, we're ready when you're ready. I always assumed that you two knew each other before getting into WWE. How did you guys develop this beautiful harmony amongst the two of you? So we knew of each other because in North Carolina, the good talent is very few and far between. So we had always heard of each other and we had like communicated to each other through like Facebook and things like that. And hope one day we get to meet each other and hope we get to work together. Um, But yeah, the first time we actually physically met was at the WWE show that Regal booked me on. And Dan had been trying his hardest to get signed for years. They booked him so much that the wrestlers thought he was signed. Um, and we met and we started, we were, we were so happy to meet each other. And we had talked again through Facebook and we we're like, hey, let's travel together on this loop um, that we were booked on. And so I said, uh, the first thing I said to him was like, hey, very nice to meet you. I said, are you a Brett or a Sean guy? He said, oh, I'm a Brett guy. <laughs> we became fast friends. Fight fans, throw your best haymaker with a risk-free first bet from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, new customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code Renee and you'll be able to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. FanDuel offers all your favorite bets. Choose from the money line to the method of victory to which round the fight will end and so much more. You can even parlay different fight bets together. The bigger the parlay, the bigger your potential payout becomes. FanDuel is America's number one sports book and is now live in New York. New Yorkers, get on this. This is the number one sports book in America. You want to be a part of this. The app is so easy to use, and when you win, you're going to get paid in as little as two hours. To place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee and make every fight night mean more with FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. What was it like for you guys to help get Edge ready for his return? We've been friends with Adam for a very long time, but he called both of us and he said, hey, there's not too many people in wrestling that I trust. I would love for you guys to come to Dr. Tom's and uh, work around with me. He said, I know you won't take it easy on me, and I need to know if I'm actually going to be able to do this. So it was a... it was you know, obviously an honor as much as a a friend as he is to us. I always tell him like, it never goes away that a hero who is a friend, but a hero of mine wants us to work with him or help him get ready or comes to see rock and roll express versus FTR or calls us ever him and Randy are having the greatest match of all time. Randy called us to meet them and put this match together with them. 
And you mentioned Randy as well. You guys have a, a pretty unique relationship with Randy Orton. How did that come about? He's, he can be a bit of a tough nut to crack, uh, but I love me some Randy Orton. There was no one else in WWE who fought harder for us than Randy. Maybe Roman, you know, it was a close second, but Randy fought super hard for us. The whole FTRKO thing wasn't supposed to be a thing, but it worked. We worked together. And so we worked a few house shows together and he was so impressed with myself and Dan being able to call stuff in the ring. And we got along on the tour buses and stuff. And it was just easy. You know, uh, I think he's a wrestling fan, even though he didn't grow up as a wrestling fan. He's a wrestling fan. He sees that we're huge wrestling fans. So we kind of bonded over that and asked him questions about his dad. And he saw how hard we worked and he loved that. It's so weird because of who he is, what he is who we are and what we are, you would think we're polar opposites. And maybe we are, but uh, it made for a great friendship. Of course, we all know that you're a huge Bret Hart fan who's not. Come on, the excellence of execution. Um, what's your deal with HBK? Obviously, as a kid, you either had to be a Bret or a Sean. I've said this many a times. Bret has this, uh, he is over in a unique way. He's not Hulk Hogan over and he's not Steve Austin over. You know what I mean? He's not the biggest star in wrestling history, but the way he was over is so unique that it's never been replicated. And it may not ever. You can call me a mark if you want. I don't give a damn, but I'm the motherfucker that's texting him on a weekly basis because we're friends. As a kid, he made me feel a certain way. Uh, and I think that's why I wrestle and, and cash too. We wrestle the way we do because I never, I, I love the, the, like, I loved the cruiserweights and stuff, and this, this stuff is, was incredible. But Brett made me feel a certain way. And I want to make people feel that way, too. Emotionally, not loving. They're never going to love me as much as love Brett. But emotional, I want an emotional connection in every match we have, uh, just like he had. And so, uh, as a kid, I chose Brett over Sean. And then NXT, Sean came on board, and he was a teacher. And he was a big fan of me and Dan's. And... Uh, we got injured. Dan broke his jaw. Uh, Kenta gave him to go to sleep, broke his jaw. Maybe two weeks later, I gave Seamus a lifter and I tore my bicep. And um, I went through a real bad phase then because, you know, I was like, man, this is not going to work for us. I mean, this is a run of bad luck. We came back to TV and then at Raw 25, we were booked to do the deal with Hunter and his friends where they just beat us up. And I was so upset. Because for a lot of guys, it's like, oh, it's, it's a paycheck. Who cares? But not to me. There's a legacy I want to leave. But that happened. And I talked to Sean. And that was the first time we talked since um, the PC days. And I told him, like, I was like, man, this happened. Tore my bicep. I went through a really dark period. I thought I was going to quit. But thankfully, just like I've told you, I had the greatest wife in the world. And she has supported me. And she brought me out of this funk. And like... She brought me out of a dark place and I'm here now and I'm super happy. He said, I was the same way. I was in this very dark spot. I met my wife. She's beautiful. She pulled me out of this dark spot too. I was like, oh, that's so awesome. He said, look, you and your partner are way too talented to be doing what you're doing tonight. You're way too talented to stay at this point. Just keep your nose to the ground and keep grinding and you're going to get over it. Like, oh man, Sean, thank you so much. And so we had this bonding moment and then we got in front of his friends. X-Pac and Hunter and Billy and Road Dog and Scott. And as soon as we got in front of his friends, he started making fun of me and making fun of my situation and what happened with my bicep. And I was like, man, I just poured my heart out to you. 
And as soon as we get in front of your friends, because we're going over what, you know, they're going to beat the shit out of us, you decide to take all that stuff and make fun of me about it. And I never, ever forgot it. And um, as soon as we were done with the business at Raw, one person said thank you to us. And it was Sean Waltman. Everyone else was so cold to us and treated us like we were just like the shit on the bottom of their shoes, except for Sean Waltman. And I'll never forget that for Sean. And I hope that there's a day that comes that we can have a conversation and sit down and I can ask him why he did that. And we can reconcile if he wants to. But yeah, if I love you, I love you. If I don't, I don't. Well, listen, I've taken up a ton of your time. So I'm going to end with one final question that's hopefully an upper. When do we get to see FTR versus the Briscoe brothers? I wish I knew the answer. I would do it yesterday if they paid us well. You know, there's wrestling and then there's real life. And uh, I think in real life, they think that they're better than us as a tag team, which is so cool. That's fine. You think that way uh, because we met them before and they were cool. But I think they had this perception of who we were and who we are. But they think that they're, they're the best tag team and they think they're better than us, I think. And on the other side of that coin, there's not a better tag team in the world than us. I tweeted it out this morning. Um, someone said, who tells this guy the best? That shit needs to stop. And I said, okay, well, I'll tell Brett, Steve Austin, Edge, Christian, Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, Jim Cornette. I'll tell them all that you're right and they're wrong. But there's some underlying real-life tension, I think. And I think that's what may be stopping it from happening for right now. Because we are the best. They think they're the best. And I don't know if either team wants to, uh, I'm trying to say this as kayfabe as possible, but wants to back down from that. But I hope that we're able to do business in the future because we've had promoters, uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm patting myself in the back, but we had promoters offer us a crazy amount of money for this match. Well, everyone thought you guys were going to show up at Hammerstein. Yeah, I don't know why they booked that like that. Like, you know, why, why would you say a mystery team? <laughs> Everybody's going to think it's us, not us. That's a question whenever you have Tony on the show, you ask Tony Khan. Oh, okay, great. I will have a follow-up with Tony then. I'll try to get to the bottom of it with him. My next question is when we're going to have uh, us versus the Young Bucks again, because I think they forgot we worked there. I mean, it seems like this is kind of an ongoing uh, battle. There's just so many people trying to get TV time all the time. I mean, what's the deal? Dan has to tell me every week, hey, relax. Like, there's not time for everybody. But then when we get the opportunity to have a fucking banger with CM Punk and John Moxley, we have a fucking banger with CM Punk and John Moxley. But uh, I'm trying to learn to take my love for professional wrestling and put it in a positive direction. So if we don't get booked the way that we think we should be booked, that's okay because we'll always be here. And if you need a fucking 20 or 30 minute banger, uh, a classic for television, give us a call and we'll be right there and we'll deliver every single time. Dude, it's been so good having you on here and talking to you and just getting to hear this other side of you that, uh, you know, nobody ever really knows until you are able to talk about things like this. And uh, I really do think that it goes a really long way for, for a guy in your position to uh, to explain some of these things to, to anyone else that might be going through a similar situation. Thanks, dude. I'm sure I will uh, message you later, but I appreciate you having me on and let me talk about that stuff. All right. I will let you get back to your beautiful family. But uh, again, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and being so honest and telling your story. A big, big thank you to Dax for coming on this show, uh, sharing his story, really shedding light on some of the things that he has been through, through anxiety, things that him and his wife have gone through. 
his family life, professional wrestling, uh, professional wrestling relationships, because damn, if those aren't complicated. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate Dax coming on here, being so open and talking about those things that he's never really gotten into publicly before. And I, I hope that you guys really enjoyed this conversation, really got to take something away from it. And, you know, if nothing else, it's like, just remember, we're all human beings. End of the day, no one's protected from harsh words any more than anybody else's. So just kind of think about that stuff going forward. All right, guys, that's it for me. I hope that you enjoyed this. I really love doing this podcast. I really love having conversations like this. You know, an episode like this, I think, is one of those quintessential reasons of really what I had in mind when I launched this podcast. Um, you know, just having those deeper conversations with people. It's not just always about how'd you get into the business and what do you think about this hold? You know, it's it's not about that uh, for me. I love the business of wrestling, but I love the people in wrestling the most. My time that I've had in the wrestling world, I've just come across so many amazing, fascinating people and being able to, to shed a light on who they are that you don't really get to understand from just watching TV. So thank you guys for listening. These are really long intros and outros. My bad. But until the next episode, uh, you guys know what to do. You can check out everything on YouTube. The YouTube version of this podcast will be dropping this Friday. Everything else is on there up until this point, I believe. So plenty for you to check out. Until next time, guys, this has been The Sessions. The Sessions.